Hi everybody, welcome back to Random Trek. I'm your host, Scott McNulty. As you know, on this podcast, I discuss with a guest a random episode of Star Trek. My guest today is Dan Morin. Dan, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me above this lovely and uh, aboard this lovely spacious podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I I was going to take this podcast from you by force. Oh dear! But then I decided that maybe we could just live together in harmony. We can't live together in harmony. I am a conqueror, Dan. <laughs> I've heard this about you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Dan. How will the people know who you are? May they be familiar with your work in one form or another? Uh, I would hope so. Uh, if not, then there's plenty of places to find out about me. Uh, like Scott, I am a regular panelist on The Incomparable, which some of you may have heard of. Um, in fact, I was thinking, we're, I think, do both of us go back to the first episode? We were definitely within, I, I think I was on the first episode. Were, were you also on the first episode? I, I was on the first episode. Yeah, I, I was going to say, we're, we're founding members. We are, it's true. Uh, um, other than that, I my day job is writing at Macworld, where you yourself have been known to pen a piece or two. We have worked together there. Um, and I, in my spare time, I do, uh, besides The Incomparable, I'm also on a podcast called Not Playing with Lex Friedman, where we watch uh, movies that one or the other of us hasn't seen and talk about them. So it's, it's a little bit, it's a it's sister podcast in some ways. There's a, there's some, it's, some similarities there. It's my, the podcast brother from another mother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I do okay. I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Twitters. Um, at D. Morin, and I write in my spare time um, many, many unpublished novels, and that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> well, there you go. That that encompasses a lot. And you watch random episodes of Star Trek once in a while. I do when when it is when I am called to do so. Now, now I, I know f- a few things about you, Dan, since I have known you for for several years. Uh, I do know that you are something of a Star Wars fan. Never heard of it. Oh, well, I, see, I, I've misunderstood what you've been talking about. I thought it was one of your life's great passions. And you know what? So here's the thing. I think this is true. I think a lot of people know me as a Star Wars fan, and perhaps we will, we will talk about this now, but my maybe dirty secret is that for many years, uh, you and I grew up in roughly the same the same time frame. Um, there the, were not the that many. Yeah, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of Star Wars movies in the 50s. Um, it's true. <laughs> I grew up right past the point where the last where Return of the Jedi came out in 1983 because I was I was born in 1980, um, and so there wasn't a lot of Star Wars for most of my youth, and as a result, you know I, I was a science fiction fan, fantasy fan of all stripes, um, and of course it's really hard to avoid Star Trek in that way. <laughs> That's high praise. Yeah. Well, it, it, sooner or later I was going to come across it, and um, I actually was a huge Star Trek fan for many many years of my life. I, I still consider myself a, a big Star Trek fan. Um, but there was a point where Star Wars, you know, there wasn't anything happening in the Star Wars universe, so I was really focused on Star Trek. I did many embarrassing things related to Star Trek that we could possibly talk about. Um, <laughs> well, now and, we have to. Yeah. <laughs> among other things, I made a Star Trek role-playing game while I was in oh, middle school. That's uh, uh, pretty hardcore. Uh, I once made a piece of shareware, which I wrote in Microsoft Visual Basic, I believe, and then distributed on BBSs that was basically, it was called Starfleet Files, and you could type in the name of a Star Trek The Next Generation character, and it would give you stats about them, most of which were made up by me. <laughs> from from your role-playing game. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And this is the, the funniest part of that to me is still to this day, people paid me for that software. <laughs> <laughs> I got sent, in back, back in that day, this is the, you know, the early 90s, people sent me cash in the mail 
This is like impressive. like five ten bucks. I was like, I made money as a, as a, like a twelve year old or whatever. <laughs> I feel very bad. I wish if I knew who those people were, I would sincerely consider refunding them their money. <laughs> well, I think what we've learned is that uh, you have more cred as a Star Trek fan than I do. So really, you should be hosting this. And, oh well, uh, uh, it's nice of you to be on my podcast, Scott. Thank you for having me. I started watching Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> You you will pry this podcast from my cold dead hands, Morin. <laughs> All right, so we're so we've established your bona fides as a, an actual Star Trek fan, That's true. which is uh, you know good to know. You also you know I also I come off if people have listened to the incomparable, they have heard me poo poo Star Wars. Uh, I do that. Mostly to annoy Dan. Um, <laughs> oh, it works. I know. I do like Star Wars. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've seen all the movies. Uh, I've read a number of novels. Uh, you know, I've played the role-playing game. But Star Trek really is my, my home as a fan. Uh, it's what uh, really speaks to me. And so, speaking of which, the episode that we're going to watch tonight, well, we've already watched it, the episode that we watched uh, is by any other name, which is from the original series, season two, episode 22, also probably better known as the episode where people get turned into dice. <laughs> oh, man, I can't tell you how much I, I, la- I laughed at that part. That was pretty great. <laughs> it's spongy dice. Spongy dice that then get crushed, uh, which seems like a very inefficient me weapon, but we, we can get into that uh, in a moment. So, uh, the episode starts off, uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy beam down to a planet. They are, uh, they've received a d- distress call, so they're looking for the wreckage of a ship to see if they can find out who is uh, distressed on this planet. Uh, and then, all of a sudden, two folks show up who uh, are in humanoid form, and they say, you know, thanks for finding us, uh, give us your ship, we're taking over. And, uh, you know, they, they have these fancy belt buckles, which are very stylish. Yeah, so I, my question is, uh, I haven't looked at the overall stats for Captain Kirk's tenure, um, but how many times does he get the Enterprise taken away from him by someone? Because I feel like there's some insurance premium issues here or something. Like, I don't know if I would trust my ship to him, because it seems like this happens a lot. And there, there are a few moments that I, we'll talk about later in this episode where I question captain kirk as a captain yes uh, because he makes a lot of decisions that i don't think uh starfleet would approve of of course you know they're far away from starfleet one imagines they're close to the galactic barrier uh, which is this big uh, energy barrier that uh encompasses our galaxy and that was visited in a previous episode of star trek uh, the, the original series so maybe you know nobody's keeping tabs on kirk so he's got a little wild uh, he apparently well you're out there on a five-year mission you know it's, it's up to you to make decisions at a certain point i think they they give you a lot of uh a lot of leeway that's right and he captain kirk is willing to take as much leeway as given to him as we have learned from many episodes and movies featuring uh mr kirk now i will say i made two predictions in within the first like the cold open of this show right wait no it was this the first time you'd seen this episode this is the first time oh, i had seen okay. this particular episode um, I did recognize because they did reference uh, where where no man has gone before, mm-hmm. which I have also seen, um, and I remembered the I remembered the galactic barrier. Um, it's like oh yeah yeah that's in one of the previous episodes. This also kind of reminded me of uh, Star Trek Five. Um, it was like what do these gods need with a starship, man? <laughs> it's uh, true. <laughs> They're trapped on a planet. Yeah, but I mean, so having seen episodes of Star Trek, 
you know, you you look at the initial setup, mm-hmm. and I I devised a couple theories within the first you know couple shots. One, so they beam down with this away team, which is as usual Kirk, Bones, and Spock, uh, and two unidentified unidentified red shirted crew members. Yes, uh, a Shay who's a security guard, and yes. uh, a Yeoman Thompson, I think is her name. I think that's correct. Uh, and uh, I immediate so within the the first few minutes, I pegged. I thought they were going to kill. The security officer, the man, because mm-hmm. uh, not only was he a red shirt, but I feel like there is that unfortunate he was he's also African American. I feel like unfortunately <laughs> they often get the short end of the stick when it comes to that. That's true. <laughs> like oh, they got killed off early, um, and I was I was surprised that one did not entirely pan out the way I expected. But my other prediction, which was as soon as they introduced the scantily clad alien lady, was that Kirk <laughs> was going to have to seduce her. So, oh, okay, there we go. Red shirts to die, and a woman for Kirk to do some seducing on. So. I feel like I had a I had a pretty good success rate there. Uh, when I have seen this episode before, uh, and it is one that I remember mostly because we'll get to it that the people get turned into uh, oddly shaped objects later on. Uh, but when I saw the woman come out, uh, the woman alien who there, so they're Kelvins apparently, uh, and I looked at her costume and I was like, yes. This is a show from the 60s, folks. That's quite an impractical costume. The men are wearing jumpsuits, and she's wearing some, like, uh, half of a shirt, basically. Backless. Yeah, it's very, very chic. It is. She looks... Probably a little cold. She looks lovely, but I I can't imagine that that was comfortable. Um, So anyway, so they've beamed down... They meet these two people. They meet Rojan and uh, I don't remember the woman's Kalinda. name. Kalinda. Kalinda, that's right. Not to be confused with Belinda. Kalinda. No, Kalinda. And they say, hey, we need your ship because we need to get back to uh, the Kelvin Empire so that we can report back to uh, our superiors that this galaxy would be lovely for us to conquer and uh, destroy hum- your human race. Uh, and then Kirk is like, oh, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to punch you. Uh, but haha. They can freeze people with their belt buckles, so they freeze uh, the the Federation folks, and they're paralyzed. Um, it's kind of cool. They they mention that it paralyzes their voluntary muscles so that they can continue to breathe and keep up their normal uh, activities that keep them alive, but they can't move. Well, although Kirk Kirk. Uh, first of all, some of the actors are better than yeah, others. I was going to say, this is my favorite part of this episode is watching <laughs> the actors just freeze and try to remain as still as possible. Some. I will say that DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy do a pretty good job. I, uh, I think it's yes. And I like how... Shatner has some trouble because his eyes keep moving. He's like, uh... <laughs> he can't stop acting. No, he can't. And I like DeForest Kelly for some reason is frozen pointing up at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> He's gesturing his usual frustration with Spock, I'm sure. It's true. And so then Rojan says, we're taking over your ship and we're going to, you know... Uh, uh, modify it so that we can get to our galaxy, because they're from another galaxy, uh, within 300 years, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll take over, and uh, everyone will be happy except for the humans, because we'll wipe you all out. And then uh, they unparalyze folks, uh, the the Federation people, and then Kirk and Spock and McCoy, they all seem to take this pretty well. <laughs> uh, and Spock, well, it must, must be Wednesday. Uh, Our ship gets taken over. Nobody, nobody seems upset. Spock, Spock is more interested in the technology that they, they have, and he doesn't seem too concerned. Uh, and they've also beamed up some folks to the Enterprise to take over the Enterprise. So I like that those guys don't even get a transport effect. They just pop in. <laughs> they do. But they get a little sound effect, though. A little we could boom. not afford the full transporter shimmery. Those are expensive. Yeah, I understand. Uh, and so they, they go about 
pointing their belt buckles at people, and the people freeze. Um, and there's one there's one button on the belt buckle that seems to operate a number of functionality. Uh, and I would worry. So we'll find out next. Kirk is like, well, I'm not going to let you take over my ship. And Rojan says, well, we'll have to uh, give you an example of what we can do, right? Uh, so oh, I've skipped over a part. So they, they send him into, they send Kirk and Spock, McCoy, and the two red shirts into a brig, like a cave that they've turned into a jail for some reason. <laughs> for some reason, they have these like metallic bars that Spock informs us are like basically impossible to deal with, even if we had phasers, which we don't because they took them all from us. <laughs> exactly. I found that very odd. So the, the the setup of the episode was right that these people have crash landed on uh, this planet because they tried to get through the galactic barrier and their ship couldn't handle it, uh, so they crash land in a little lifeboat. And if you do that. And you have these things that can paralyze people. Would you really make the effort to build a, a cage in which yeah, to put them? Yeah, exactly. You could just paralyze them and just, could just left them standing there paralyzed while you did your stuff. Exactly. And that would be a much better plan because Spock and Kirk and McCoy hatch a plan to escape so that they can uh, take back the Enterprise. And so they uh, Spock uses his Vulcan... Uh, they don't call it a mind meld. I forget what a they mind probe or something. A mind probe or something. So he does it through a wall, which I had never seen before. Well, uh, they reference. I, yeah, I thought he was making making a move on the rock there for a second. <laughs> Sensing your thoughts, rock's no, not thinking rock, of anything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently he can uh, at a distance. He can mind meld, and so he tries that on one of on the lady, uh, Kalinda, and it, it backfires. But he does get some fragments of uh, what it's like what her thought process is like, which they come back to later in the episode. And then Kalinda comes in because Spock is, not only does it fail, he is flung across the room uh, from some reaction from trying to mind melt with her. And Kalinda comes in to check out things. And then this is where the always heroic Captain Kirk steps in (laughs) and karate chops her in the neck. (laughs) I'm always impressed that that just like takes you out in one shot. Because it, it doesn't seem like it's that hard, like he's hitting that hard. He just, I guess he just finds the right nerve there, right? You know, it's just sort of like a light karate chop to the neck. I feel like that would be a nice massage. Like, oh, hey, yeah, a little to the left. But no, she just goes down like a sack of potatoes. She does. Uh, and then Kirk steals her belt buckle, and they run out <laughs> of the cave. Uh, but their freedom is short-lived because there are uh, two other Kelvin people who also have belt buckles that they can use. And they paralyze only Captain Kirk, which I found interesting. Uh, everybody else just backs off immediately. Uh, and then they're, they're thrown back into the brig. And uh, the, the, the Kelvins up on the ship are continuing to solidify their, their hold over the Enterprise. And they're like, oh, we're, we're stuck in this cave. We need to get out. We need to figure out where they get their power source for these belt buckles. Uh, what can we do? We need to get somebody up onto the ship, right? So, uh, basically, Spock goes into a trance, because that's what you do. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of Vulcan special power, like superpowers, in this episode. It's true, uh, which I had never... They don't really come up a lot in the Star Trek lore. Uh, just in this episode, there's the, the deep trance that uh, Vulcans apparently can enter themselves into, and Spock says that we find it much more relaxing 
than your vacations. <laughs> <laughs> I like that when he goes into the trance, actually in one of one of the one of the little moments that makes this show, you know, at times the show can seem dated, obviously, but I really love the physical comedy of Spock just slowly toppling over as Bones like, whoa, whoa, don't, hey, hey, easy there, buddy. <laughs> A nice deadfall, though. It was, it was very impressive. That's true. Uh, so after they... Um, escape the cave they're they're uh caught back and this is where we find out that their belt buckles have multiple functions because swiss army knife belt buckles. that's right because not only will it paralyze folks when it's and i was trying to could you figure out how they have to aim their belt buckles because when they go up to the ship i thought at first well they can just paralyze a bunch of people Uh, But when they go up to the ship, they show a scene where a guy is like an engineering or something, and there are two groups of people, and he clearly points his crotch at one group, and they are paralyzed, and then at the other, he has to swivel, and they are paralyzed over there. Yeah, there's a weird sort of cone. I mean, like, if you were describing this as the shape of, say, you know, I don't know, like a a D&D spell, because I know that's a language we both speak, it would be like a cone. That's true. Uh, But it's... Yeah, I don't know. It does seem kind of imprecise, and sometimes they seem to only use it on one person, and sometimes they can get, like, four or five people without too much trouble. So, yeah, it's a little, a little unclear. Also, as you, I think you're pointing out, the buttons for, like, paralyze and reduce into cube form might be uncomfortably close together. That might be bad design. It seems like there's one button on that belt buckle, and there are some lights that light up whenever you press it. They do, they do flash. Yeah, it's nice. So that's right. So you allude to the secondary function, which is uh, to make an example... Rojan, who's the leader of the Kelvins, says, all right, Kirk, so that you don't have, uh, you don't come up with any more funny business, I'm going to punish some of your crew members to teach you a lesson, which is, I think, a good way to deal with Kirk, since he's really interested in his crew. You take a couple of crew members, and uh, you show them what's for, and Kirk falls into line. Uh, In uh, the Kelvin world, apparently, the way they do that is they uh, point their belt buckle at you, and then you turn into a weird cubes that uh, Rojan explains are the sum of everything that makes a person a person. And so when I first watched this, I thought, okay, well, it's just they kind of have, you know, uh, dehydrated them, in effect. Right, And it's just the components and elements and things. But he clearly says their personalities are also in this cube. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's where, how else do you store a personality? It's like a, a fudgy center, I guess. Well, what I like about this is that when they when he first turns them into these things, they're clearly like sponges, <laughs> and then they do the cut back to the part where he crushes right. one of them. It's a very dramatic part, and it's clearly like a different like it's something that's shaped <laughs> the same, but it clearly is a different density or something because it looks totally different from the other cube. I mean, this is the kind of thing you can only tell now that they've like put them in HD and remastered them and everything like that. It's, it's clearly true. not the same thing. <laughs> it is true, but it's very crumbly. It is. It is. It's like they like dried out a sponge or something. He crushes it. And Captain Kirk is shocked. And, of course, like, uh, as you said, Dan, your prediction as I was watching this, because I'd seen this episode probably 10 or 15 years ago, so it was a little fuzzy. And I thought, okay, well, he's killed the security guy, because the security guy, uh, Lieutenant Shea, uh, is an African-American guy. He's also a red shirt, and he's a security officer. He's also the most, he goes, he wants to, like, fight back, right? Exactly. Like, he's also the too aggressive, like, oh, yeah, we can take him. And you're like, oh, that guy's got to die. He's going he's gonna to get it. And surprise, surprise. They crush the uh, the female yeoman. Um, so sad. Who I thought looked familiar, so I did a little research. I, I looked her up as by well. By Googling her. Uh, she, was, she was married to James Cromwell. I know, that's, that's so weird. <laughs> she was married later, to Zephyr. Later, who played Zephyr Cochran, yeah. It's craziness. 
so that was my uh, fun fact about this episode. I, I did enjoy that. I also enjoyed from the you, you sent me the Memory Alpha wiki page for this episode, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed that they pointed out what I also noticed, which was that the shot they use when restoring the crew member, which they, they quickly demonstrate, not only can we turn them into these cubes, but we can turn them back into people right. just by adding water. Um, <laughs> is that it's the same shot they use right before they turn him into the cube. Like, they just recycled the shot, which is weird because he looks just kind of nonplussed about this whole... Like, none of them really freak... Neither of them really freak out that much, even when, like... Even when uh, Rojan tells him, like, I'm going to kill these guys, they just seem like... Eh, well, I mean, you know, Starfleet officers, these things happen. And it's then he true. brings it back, and it's not like a, whoa, what the heck just happened there? He seems fine. Yeah, everybody... I The, the uh, Starfleet officers in this episode seem not too surprised about anything that's happening. Uh, I guess maybe it's their Starfleet training, their military They've, training. they've hung out with Kirk a lot, and they're like, yes, yeah, this, this happens. Oh, it's just another week, another yeah. crew member gets turned into a 20-sided die. <laughs> we got a whole, uh, you know, whole cargo hold full of these 20-sided <laughs> dies down there. Oh, well. You know, that's how they make it. They, they, they don't have a lot of space on the Enterprise. Not yet. You got it. Yeah. They need exactly. a lot of people to run the ship. So, you know. Well, they don't. But I know. Out, which is, <laughs> <laughs> that happens later. Uh, and so, okay. So, quick. And then uh, I've explained uh, Spock enters his Vulcan trance. They uh, trick one of the Kelvins into uh, thinking he's sick. So, they beam up to the Enterprise uh, with a diabolical plan to destroy the energy source that powers their belt buckles. Then eventually everybody else beams up to the Enterprise and uh, Rojan says, let's get the show on the road. I really have to start this uh, conquest of your galaxy. It's going to take me 300 years to get home, another 300 years to come back. So, you know, time's burning. Let's go. So off they go. They've uh, paralyzed the uh, Enterprise crew. Rojan decides that it's time to, you know, these people are taking up a lot of room. They could get a little unruly, even though they're all paralyzed. So it's time to to get rid of non-essential crew members and turn them into cubes as well. Uh, So they do that to everybody except for Captain Kirk, Spock, uh, Scotty, and McCoy, which apparently the four people you need to run. I I think it's a a union thing. (laughs) The Constitution-class starship only needs four people and uh, five aliens that have never used it. What do you need these for? Like, I'm just trying. I was trying to think about what makes them essential. Like, Kirk. I mean, he's not even really doing anything <laughs> I, at that well, point. Well, he sits in the captain's chair still. So, right. I mean, he's the figurehead. But we only got McCoy, Spock, and Scotty to deal with. It's like you don't even really need Kirk. And you don't uh, really do need, need McCoy either. Because you don't really need McCoy. There's only four humans, and or sorry, three humans and a Vulcan. Um, Spock does science. Like, I don't know. I don't know that you need any of them, honestly. They're really maybe Scotty. Scotty, Maybe, I think, would probably be the most essential. Sure, but even they, they seem to know advanced science. Like, they turn the Enterprise's warp drive, like, up to 11, right? They so do, indeed. They literally turn it to 11. <laughs> uh, and so he's like, well, what do they need Scotty for? It seems like they got a pretty good handle on all this technology. Yeah, I don't think they need anybody. They could have, they just should have what they should have done. If I were one of these uh, Kelvins. <laughs> if you were a Kelvin, okay, tell me, hit me. I would, I would lure them to my planet that I crash landed on, right? I would immediately turn them into a uh, 20-sided die because I, I already have an, I can transport wherever I want to go to their ship. Apparently. They don't use the transporters. They just appear, right? Uh, so then I would transport up to the ship. I would start turning everybody there into 20-sided dies, and then I would take the ship and fly away. Yeah, see, that makes a lot of sense. I, I have to say I really enjoyed the scene 
where he's like explaining to Kirk, we need to, you know, neutralize all your non-essential personnel. And he goes around the bridge. And he's like, well, communications, we don't need you. He turns to her into a little block. And uh, one of my guys can totally fly the chip. Sorry, sorry, check off and turns him to a block. And then he looks over to this group of three crew members. He's like, you, I don't even know what the hell you guys are doing. Block, block, block. That's true. Well, then he doesn't even turn them into he, the, the woman. He's like, uh, you're not even worth me turning into yeah. blocks. I'm we'll delegating. have Kalinda uh, turn you into blocks. She has. She needs a little more practice with her belt buckle every time. Yeah, Sometimes no, she I... confuses the two functions. <laughs> uh, so we need to keep up our practice. Those poor guys. That's right, we have... I also like the scene where Kirk rounds a corridor later just to find him full of twenty sided dice. It's, it's like, true. Yeah, we just pretty much left them all there. Uh, you know, we don't have anybody left to clean them up. So that's right. Well, all non essential personnel. The janitors were turned into. One of them, they should have showed one with like a dust pan and a yes, broom next to it. people up slowly. Like, oh, eh, he could have nah, cleaned I want, it up. I wish I'd been turned into a cube. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> this is the worst Enterprise day ever. Uh, and so they hatch a plan. Scotty and uh, Spock are working on this plan to blow up this the central power source. The thinking being that if they don't have, if the Kelvins don't have their belt buckles, uh, the four members of the Enterprise crew can beat him up. But it turns out that uh, the Kelvins, in a move that shouldn't really surprise anyone, (laughs) have used this super metal that they have that nothing can get into to shield their incredibly important uh, central power system. So that's good, but this is the place where, you know, I'm glad they, they brought it back for that. But at the same time, you're also like, well, why didn't they just make their whole ship out of that? Because that probably would have solved a lot of problems. <laughs> it's, it's, it's expensive metal. I, I guess. Uh, sure. The Kelvin Empire has limited resources. It's going through a lot. Their galaxy is failing. Uh, they needed that metal for other things. Yeah. Uh, but they, now that happens. They, they protect it. I did like the fact. So in a lot of the original series episodes, uh, finding a central power source is an important plot point. Mm-hmm. And then it's always easy for the crew to blow it up. Uh, you know, they shoot a phaser at it. Uh, Captain Kirk convinces it to right. blow itself up. Uh, it's always a fairly easy resolution. So I found it refreshing that uh, yeah. these aliens actually uh, took like two seconds to think about, well, we should, this is probably our most important uh, <laughs> this, this is where tactical. our vulnerability exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Let's beef it up. I like that yeah, Spock and Scotty go in there and they, they, like, they spend about, what, like 10, 15 seconds? Like this whole plan, they get up there and they're like, no. Nope, this ain't going to work. It's true. Right. It's not going to work. So instead, uh, yes. we're just like, hey, we should probably just blow up the ship then so that these guys don't get back, you know, to their to Andromeda, which is where they're going, and then come back and invade everybody, right? Right. Um, yeah, and this is, I think, what you were alluding to earlier when you talked about some of Kirk's uh, command decisions. It's true, because this is clearly, they are on the ropes, and uh, it, it looks like at this point in the episode, it looks like the Kelvins have decidedly won. There's no way you can beat their central power source. They've got these, uh, you know, belt buckles that'll paralyze you or turn you into uh, a D20. The, the only reasonable thing is to use some of the ship's systems that they aren't too familiar with and blow up the ship so that you can keep the galaxy safe, right? Uh, and so... Spock and Scotty come up with this idea and they set up kind of some systems so that they can do it just as they're going into the galactic barrier uh, so it can't be stopped in any way. And so they don't tell Kirk that until a little bit later. <laughs> and Let's keep that from him. Yeah. Well, they're interrupted. They come back in the elevator and, you know, they have to make all the small talk on the way back up. How's the weather? It's good. Yeah. How's the kids? Great. <laughs> oh, by the way, we rigged the ship to explode. What? You did what? Uh, uh, yes. Hold on. Yeah. Shh. 
Kirk is not uh, on board with this plan. And there's no real reason that he gives. <laughs> He's just like, no, we're not doing that. Uh, he doesn't say that, but he makes it clear with his body language that he is not going to do this. Uh, and so he comes up with this plan, <laughs> which is ridiculous, uh, really. Uh, but so Spock, when Spock uh, was probing the woman's mind, he found some fragments that started to make sense to him. So he figured out that the bodies that they see now that look very human, uh, in fact, are not the bodies of the aliens, but the aliens are actually enormous blobs with 100 tentacles. Uh, but they needed to take nice. the, these human shells in order to operate the Enterprise uh, and and fly back because uh, apparently they uh, they would not fit on the Enterprise in their normal state. No, they, they state. are giant beings with 100 tentacles, so that's it's a little hard. It's a little hard to manage a, as, as Kirk points out, managing a turbo lift, a little <laughs> bit difficult. It's true. So what they didn't bank on, the Kelvins, is that they didn't just take, like, it's not like a, a suit of armor that they have taken. They are apparently are actually humans, and so they have all of these emotions and desires that they have in their giant blob-like bodies suppressed and kind of uh, evolved out of because they've ejected all unnecessary emotion and desire, and they are very focused in their normal bodies. But now that they've got the human bodies, they've got all these hormones, and they've got emotions and things, and they can experience new sensations that they have never done before in their their normal life apparently and so kirk comes up with an idea that let's let's uh, feed into these uh urges and things and make them do wacky things and turn on each other and so each of the um, officers kind of takes over takes one of the aliens and uh seduces them in different ways with different things now let's say i i gotta say scotty is gets the best of this right he does he basically we having established that this one particular guy seems to enjoy eating the little the uh, colorful cubes yes mm, delicious cubes that's, right. that's a funny uh, uh, part so he the guy walks in and they're in their mess hall talking about this very plan uh, and they're eating their trays full of colorful cubes uh, and the alien comes in and says, I don't know why you bother eating the colorful cubes when you could just take these pills uh, and you get your same nutrients. And I thought to myself, looking at those colorful cubes, I'd rather have the pills <laughs> because it looks like they're eating. I don't know what they're eating or what it's supposed to represent, but it looks pretty awful. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty bad. Yeah. And then McCoy says, hey, don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, and he's like, all right. I'll try it. Serve me up a plate of cubes. <laughs> that's right. So they make him some cubes. And then, of course, Scotty. Being, you know, his... Now, I have to say, Scotty was, as a younger watcher of Star Trek, always my favorite. Because he's the guy who knows how the ship works, right? Like, he's got all the ins and outs, he's the mechanic, and he's got an awesome accent. It's true. Um, But, of course, what we learned from this is that Scotty is also, like, you know, just a raging alcoholic, apparently. (laughs) He he is. Um, But I, I think he does get the most fun plan, which is to get this guy drunk uh, and... He goes through, I think, his entire liquor store. Now, I also liked in the in the wiki entry for this, this is apparently the only time you ever see his quarters, uh, which includes, among other things, a suit of armor. Yes. Um, in which he hides his whiskey. In which he hides his, his, old, his old classic, old yeah, whiskey. His, his aged whiskey, um, on the a kilt on the wall. Mm-hmm. And then on the way out at one point, you see he's also got bagpipes. So, like, in case you didn't get from the fact his name is Scotty. If you didn't pick up the subtle hints. <laughs> they're like, let's just get a lot of Scottish crap and put it in here. It's true. And he also has, uh, throughout his quarters, 
hidden in discreet places a variety of liquors, which he uses to ply this alien with. Uh, and then that leads to uh, a funny part where, you know, the alien is apparently good at, uh, you know, uh, has a high alcohol tolerance. So he's drinking lots and lots of stuff. And so Scotty's like, oh, I have to find something else to give this guy so that this plan that shouldn't work will will succeed. And so he finds this bottle, and the, the alien's like, well, what is it? And Scotty looks at it, and he says, it's green. And so then they drink it, and then uh, there you go. Then they drink his super old whiskey. Uh, and Which, that, which does the trick. It does the trick. The guy, the alien, unconscious. Scotty leaps into action, and you think to yourself, so Scotty is a great character, but he generally doesn't he's not very heroic in most of the sure. episodes, right? He does, he solves problems. He's a great problem solver, but he's not a hero. Uh, he's a little bit of a comic relief uh, and the guy who knows a lot of stuff and he's a fun character. So you think to yourself, all right, Scotty is saving the day. Uh, he steals the belt buckle. Uh, he's about to walk out of his quarters and he passes out. <laughs> oh. So close, Scotty. So close. Poor Scotty. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it, and apparently that's also that's referenced in the episode of uh, TNG where Scotty shows up. Uh, he and Data go drinking, and Data sniffs something and says it's green. At least according to the wiki, I, I kind of remember that. I always wanted to. I remember that episode was one I really wanted to see as a kid, and it was back when when TNG was in syndication, and back when you didn't know when television shows were like what episode is going to air. It's like you had to kind of read the TV guide and, and take a stab at it. And for some reason, I taped the wrong one or something. I didn't get to see it for years and years and years, which bummed me out. Oh, that's a good it's episode. A story. It's a great episode. Love it. Love Scotty. And at some point. I'll talk about it with somebody. <laughs> maybe. Maybe next time. Who knows? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so that's, yeah, Scotty's mission is to get him drunk, uh, which he does. Uh, McCoy's min- mission is to uh, shoot him up with drugs. Uh, so he takes one of the other aliens and convinces him that he's sickly because he takes all of his nutrients from a pill. Uh, and the guy's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> Please inject and, me with yeah. this thing that could be anything. Yeah, that was my other problem. These these Kelvin, right, they are a warlike race, but yet they just take whatever the humans tell them as uh, gospel and will eat and drink whatever they're given, <laughs> will let people inject them with r- mysterious things. It seems like yeah. they are pretty bad conquerors. I think uh, yeah, I think the rest of the races in, in the Andromeda galaxy seem like they might have been pushovers. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It was an easy uh, galaxy to conquer. No problem. We can totally take this Milky Way thing. That's right. Uh, yeah, they're not very good. So, yeah, so basically, McCoy drugs this other guy and with uh, drugs that will make him irritable and aggressive. So that's his thing. And now Kirk has the most dangerous mission of them all <laughs> to seduce the woman. Well, you got to you got to play to your strength. It's true. And I knew and like you said Dan, as soon as you saw uh, Kalinda appear half dressed, you th- you know that uh, Kirk is going to make the moves. And he in fact does. And in a very amusing scene, he attempts to seduce her the first time round. Uh and it fails miserably because she is uh, unused to such things. So uh, he kisses her, and he says, "Did that make you feel better?" And her response was, "Was it supposed to make me feel better?" <laughs> it's a good. It's a good question. I don't think a lot of people have asked Kirk that. It's true. He was. He did seem nonplussed by the whole thing, and so he leaves. He fails. Thinks he fails, but then Spock sweeps in and uh, kind of incites some jealousy with Rojan, who is the the leader of the pack. Uh, who is uh, the trusted advisor of Kalinda. And so he's kind of like, hey, I, I saw Kalinda and uh, Kirk hanging out on the corner there, getting mighty friendly. How does that make you feel? 
And of course, Rojan's like, I have no feelings. Uh, and uh, Spock was like, well, that's not what I heard. <laughs> and Rojan's like, what did you hear? Uh, and it's, it's, so he, Spock gets Rojan very uh, agitated. And then Rojan goes over uh, and says, hey, Kalinda, don't hang out with Kirk. He's a bad role model, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> it is true. Which, of course, has the opposite effect. Kalinda then says, well, if I'm not supposed to hang out with him, I want to know more of these kisses. So she goes over to Kirk, and she's like, hey, man, would you mind seducing me a little? And he's like, you came to the right officer, lady. Uh, and they start uh, making out a little, and then Rojan walks in, and he's quite upset. And Kirk's like, this makes you mad, doesn't it? Kind of squeezes Kalinda, and Rojan's like, oh, I'm so angry. Uh, and then they get into a fist fight which are always fun to watch on the original series uh, because it is very clear when yeah, the they, stunt double comes in. Also, not a lot of money for fight choreography, it seems like, because it just it all looks kind of sloppy, the, sloppy. The kicks that Kirk is doing, like he's like pushing off the table and kicking at the guy. Yeah, it's not, not very it's good. Not great, but it's exciting. It's a, it's a, sure, it's a broad kind of uh, stage fight that they use in the original series. Uh, and so there's a fight, and Rojan's very upset, and... Uh, and through the course of the fight, uh, Kirk basically says, ha, you, you, you guys are now humans. By the time you get, uh, it takes you 300 years to get home. By the time you get there, your descendants, uh, who will man, one imagines man the Enterprise uh, as it makes its 300-year voyage to the other galaxy, will be humans, and the Kelvins will not know what to do with you. So, ha ha, you, you lose, man. And Rojan's very sad. Uh, <laughs> and Kirk says, well... We could just give you a planet. We have lots of planets. <laughs> yeah, and we got tons. Yeah, we, the Federation will work on a deal with you. We'll send a robot ship to the your galaxy, let everybody know what's happening, and they can come over here if they like. Uh, in you know, because hey, it'll be it'll take us at least six hundred you know six hundred years for all that to happen. By the time they get here. It'll be somebody else's problem, basically. Yeah, I you know really miss out that there wasn't like a you know Deep Space Nine episode where the guys show up again. Like, hey, <laughs> that, it's us. That would be good. They have like updated belt buckles. <laughs> yeah, way way fancier belt buckles. I also really enjoyed the. Uh, not only is there three dimensional chess in this episode, which I think is great because I feel like it's the actors must just be like moving pieces around <laughs> and like it, it, there's a scene where Spock and, and Rojan are playing three dimensional chess and Rojan's clearly getting distracted, but I think, and then Spock like moves a piece and goes like checkmate. Yep. And it's like, is this just a game where you move pieces <laughs> around trying to convince the other person that you beat them? Well, in our previous episode, I, I spent a little a bit of time talking about the various ridiculous games that are in Star Trek series. And one that did not come up is 3d chess, which is the original ridiculous yes. game in Star Trek. This also has 3D checkers briefly. They don't play it, but there are sets of things that clearly <laughs> look like three-dimensional checkers later on, just in case you can't well, master the complexity of three-dimensional chess. Regular chess is hard, and you add a third yes. dimension, and that makes it Very even difficult. harder. So, Very you know, difficult. you have to start off with check, check, checkers, and then you get up to your, your 3D chess. And you can buy, yeah. I did briefly consider, uh, many years ago, purchase because I was in a store, like a, a hobby shop, and they had a 3D chess set for sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen them. I briefly considered buying it, but I didn't because it was like two hundred dollars. It can't also how good could it be? Really? It can't be that good. It's just, you just move things around, and then someone, whoever win, the person who wins is the person who says checkmate first. Yes, exactly, exactly. 
So always say checkmate as soon as you take it out, and you'll win. <laughs> Worst game ever. It, it isn't that good. So then, so the resolution of the episode basically is Rojan's like, oh, you let us take a planet? Which, which planet would you let us have? And McCoy says, well, how about the one you were just on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like, nobody was using that. Nobody was, it seemed fine. Uh, which, you know, and I thought I made a note uh, myself, uh, uh, and the note was like, oh, well, it always works out. Whenever Kirk leaves somebody on a random planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's never gone wrong. This should be fine. And that's basically where the episode ends. They, every, All the crew members are still die. Nobody seems to really care about them. Uh, ex- yeah, we don't see them getting brought back. Nobody gets Presumably, brought back. Presumably, it's not like the next episode, half the ship is manned by like cubes. So <laughs> That would be awesome, though, if for yeah, like three episodes... <laughs> They were just cubes because they're trying to figure out how to reconstitute people. We <laughs> yeah, left them on that planet. We didn't plan for this. It was it was a crazy time. Yeah, it was a lot of stuff. Scotty was on. drunk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't know how to do anything. Exactly. Yeah, couldn't work the transporters. They had their belt buckles and they beamed off. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So it does it does end on I guess kind of like you know the, it's a downswing after that, right? Because they're all just going to be standing around going. Uh, yeah, all right, so, uh, we're going back, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. let's go back. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll have everyone back and we're fine. So, overall, this is the first time you've watched this episode, so what did you think of this episode? Uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's a lot funnier. I think that's the saving grace of a lot of the ones that could potentially just end up being really cheesy, is that at least there is some humor in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, certainly, I really enjoyed these Scotty scenes where he's yes. just increasingly getting increasingly drunk. Um, and there's there's some good stuff. I You know, I, I said earlier that Scotty was my favorite character growing up. I think as I've gotten older, I think Bones has become more and more my favorite character, partially just because DeForest Kelly is so awesome and it's just always like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but man, I am just going to play this up to a T. And I love his, you know, the dry wit for me, you know, is the best part. Uh, of bones and i think i really enjoy having him around and listening to his his one-liners and i don't know anything where you watch kirk is just such a parody of himself that he's always fun to watch (laughs) it's true um so yeah i overall i would give this a pretty solid thumbs up um it's it's not it's it's not the best star trek episode i've seen but neither is it the worst i think it's it's pretty solid uh you know slightly above average i'd say you know if you're going like out of five stars it's like a solid three stars yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I mean, the more episodes of Star Trek I watch, uh, when I was a kid, um, I watched a lot of Star Trek, obviously, and the idea of, you know, the Enterprise is the flagship of the Federation, and so and always in my imagination, these are the best officers <laughs> that Starfleet has. Oh, and so sad. So I was always kind of impressed, with, you know, I'm thinking, to project myself into Star Trek, I, was, I would think to myself, well, I could never serve on the enterprise because you know all these guys are like super great officers but as i the yeah, more sure. now that i am older the more that i watch these star trek episodes with a little more critical of an eye it is clear that if this is the best that starfleet has to offer it's it's not a good thing <laughs> They maybe should raise their standards a little bit. But then, like, again, they've got sort of the opposite problem with the Kelvins, where it's like, all right, the Federation, everything's pretty great. We're not really, you know, fighting a bunch of people. It's true. Uh, let's, yeah, let's just let anybody in. We're just explorers. Cool. They're explorers. They do a good job of finding stuff. Right. Uh, but I, I did think it was funny when, um, so we mentioned Spock and Scotty set up this kind of self-destruct sequence, right? Uh, and you would think that they kind of want to hide the fact, that, like, slyly that they might do this. Uh, but... Scotty is sitting at a panel on the bridge, and he's got 
his thumb, like his finger over one button that is flashing, the only button that is flashing on his panel, and he's kind of hunched over, staring at the captain, waiting to get the order. Well, he keeps needling him. He's like, Captain. It's like, yeah, do you want... Eh? Yeah, uh? Pointing eh? at the, the button. Uh? Well, and then later on, the Kelvins are like, yeah, we totally figured out what you guys were doing. That's true. <laughs> that was pointless. <laughs> they are, they're not very good at subterfuge. <laughs> no, and that's probably why their ship gets taken over so many times. <laughs> it's true, but they're really good at saving the day. That's uh, When it comes to uh, a crunch... The, the Enterprise crew really gets it together. Yeah, I think that's true. And usually their plans involve some kind of ridiculous seduction or punching someone in the face, but it works. So you, you, you can't argue. we'd argue with success. Exactly. So overall, I think that this this is a good episode. It, it, it is a good example, I think, of a typical original series episode. Uh, yeah, I'd uh, agree with that. If you had to pick one. Uh, not not a great episode, but also not a horrible original series episode. So, and this is and it, it's got all the elements that you need. It really focuses on basically Spock, Kirk, and McCoy, uh, with a little dusting of Scotty to lighten up stuff, and a brief mention from Uhura and Chekhov. I don't know if Uhura says anything, uh, but Chekhov says a couple things. She has like one line at some point. That's pretty much it. And Chekhov says, oh, we're going to warp 11 or something. And then he gets turned into a D20. <laughs> and no, no Sulu. No Sulu. That is true. What a bummer. Oh, he's probably at the hydroponics bay doing uh, something. <laughs> or sword fighting. You know, whatever he's doing. So there you go. We've reached the end of our allotted time, Dan. Well, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for joining me on this, this uh, five-year voyage of discovery. I'm glad that we learned some things about the intrepid crew of the Enterprise and if we ever encounter uh, Kelvins in our travels, we'll know how to deal with them. It's true. Uh, wh- which tactic would you take? Would you try to seduce them, get them drunk, or punch them in the face? Uh, I think getting drunk would be the best for both of us. <laughs> I think that's a win-win situation. I think that's true. So I'm going to go with that. That You're a wise man, Dan. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Random Trek. <laughs>